Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. All right, well, thanks, Precious. And uh, yeah, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn them over to the book of Daniel. We've, uh, we've had a few really awesome weeks here at Valley Church. Um, first of all, I just want to thank two people. I want to thank Ed and I want to thank Doug for uh, taking the last two messages that uh, we had in our series, The Way. And didn't, didn't they do a great job preaching God's Word? It's a blessing to see that. And, um, and so we are now in a new series um, called Stand Up, uh, Dare to Stand in a Bowed Down World. And we are in the book of Daniel. And we're going to follow this through the next four weeks. And you'll be wondering, well, what are we doing uh, the week of Church in the Park? I'm going to actually release an online message for that, that you can watch after church. Um, we're going to have a pastor from, I think the Wesleyan Church is going to be, be preaching at the Church in the Park. And, um, but anyway, to keep, keep the flow of our series, I'll be doing that as well. But uh, basically in this series, we are going to spend four weeks learning from the life of Daniel how to follow Jesus in a culture that is becoming more and more against God. And this, this is a subject that I think we can all identify with, we're all living through right now, and uh, man, we have a lot to learn about how we can follow Jesus, don't we? And follow Jesus in a way that, that we want people to also follow Jesus with us and come to have the hope and joy of the gospel in their lives. And so, um, so we're going to look at the book of Daniel in that way. Um, as children, maybe you grew up singing that song, Dare to be a Daniel, Dare to Stand Alone, Dare to Have a Purpose Firm, Dare to Make It Known. Who grew up singing that song? Just a few of you, okay? Um, but uh, that was one that we sang as kids, and it describes the life of Daniel, the life of standing alone, standing in faith, and living for God in a world that is against them. And I, I believe that as we look at this book of Daniel, we're going to discover what it means to follow Jesus in our culture today and how we can follow, follow him in that way. So over the four weeks, I'll just give you a summary of where we're going. Today, we're going to talk about daring to believe in chapter one. Um, we're going to talk about then next week, daring to stand in chapter three, daring to speak in chapters four and five, and daring to suffer in our last week in Daniel chapter six. And uh, we have a reading plan. If you got that on your way in as the bulletins were passed out, I want to just encourage everyone to, uh, to take that and, and follow along Monday through Saturday, I think, and uh, read the scriptures that are associated with each, each message. And in that way, you can, you can kind of uh, take this study of the book for your own um, and, uh, and just go deeper with it yourselves, okay? And so let's, um, let's pray, and then we're going to lay a foundation that's going to carry us through in these weeks to come, all right? Let's go to the Lord and ask him, him to bless us in this way. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that every word of scripture is inspired by you. And Lord, as, as we go to your word today, as we examine the life of Daniel and, and his, his three friends, Lord, God, um, you are good. And even in these hard situations that you put them in, we see them being faithful to you. 
And God, we've got situations in our own lives that are going to call us to compromise, call us to um, throw off our faith in you, Jesus, and the authority of your word. And so, God, I pray that you would teach us and change us. And Lord, give us the confidence in your goodness today that we would dare to believe in you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn over to Daniel chapter 1. We're going to start there today. And I've entitled this message, Dare to Believe. And uh, let's, let's look at this passage. As we approach the story of Daniel, we're going to see that his confidence to stand came because he dared to believe. And this is point number one. He dared to believe in the goodness of God. He dared to believe in the goodness of God. Now, we all just like really sang that song out, didn't we, here at church? God, you're, you're good. You know, your, your goodness is running after. It's running after me, you know. Um, and, and this is something that, man, if Daniel was here, he would have sang that song out loud and proud, wouldn't he? He would have. He dared to believe, number one, we see in the goodness of God. And we're going to see from the text how he did that. But let me ask you a question before we read it. Have you ever been in a place where you ask God, God, are you even there? God, do you even care? God, um, are you even good? Because a lot of our life experiences, when, when bad things happen in our life, it causes us to question this basic facet of the character of God. God, are you good? And Daniel was in the situation here that he, I'm sure, was, was called to, to question the goodness of God. Let, let's see where he was at reading verses 1 and 2 in context here. Verse 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave to Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands and some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. As you can see, this is not a high point for the history of Judah. What, uh, what had happened, as, as you will, um, if, you, if you understand the context of the book of Daniel, what, what's happened over, these, over the past few hundred years is that Israel... And, and Judah had, had asked for kings to reign over them. And because they had brought, brought upon themselves the reign of a, a man as, as their king to be like the nations around them, they had forgotten to worship God and serve him alone. And so what God did is he, he lovingly and patiently um, called them back to himself, called them to repentance, but he warned them and said, if you do not repent, I will send four nations to come in uh, to, to overthrow the, the dominion that you have, and, and that's what happened. In 722 BC, 722 years before Christ, what happened is that uh, the Assyrians came in and, and took control over Israel, and then uh, shortly after that, a few years after that, then the Babylonians came in under the rule of Nebuchadnezzar, and this is real ancient history, and you can study it, um, took over Judah. And basically, as you can see, um, ransacked their cities and uh, went into the temple and took, took the vessels, the holy vessels from the temple of God and put them into their own temples of their own gods. And you're probably thinking, what in the world? What kind of God 
would let something like this happen. And I'm sure that's maybe what Daniel and his, his friends were thinking as well at that time. Um, because is God, are you there? God, don't you care? You know, but as we see, God did this because he was jealous for his own glory. He, he, he wanted himself to be worshiped in spirit and in truth. And that, that's why God, as, as a father, will discipline those who he loves. And this was an act of holy discipline that God had sent on this nation of Judah at that time. And Daniel was a child, basically, at that time. We don't know his exact age, but we, but we do know that, that he was very young. And in what was to come, what we see is that even though Daniel was so young at this time, he dared to believe that God was still good. And that's, and that's a question that you need to ask yourself when things happen in life or when you question the goodness of God. Do you believe that God is still good even though life is bad? Do you believe that God is so good even though it doesn't align with the direction that society is taking? Do you believe that His way is best? And that's the question you have to come to terms with, and Daniel did as well, and we'll see how he did that. But if you're going to have confidence to stand up in a bowed-down world, you need to, number one, believe in the goodness of God. That is, if you look back in the book of Genesis, whenever we sin, it is our failure to trust that God is good. Think about that. When the devil came to, to, to Eve and tempted Eve, what did he say? Did God really say that you'll die? You won't surely die. You know, and he caused Eve to question the goodness, his own goodness. Why did God command you to not eat from the tree? You know, and, and Eve responded back, well, he, no, he, he's good, he's good, he's good. But Satan responded, man, he's, he's, hold, he's withholding something from you. And any time that we sin, it's, it's our own failure to trust God. You've put boundaries there for a purpose. You design this for a purpose. Your way is best. Your design is best. You love me. You care for me. But when we go our own way, when we follow our own thoughts, when we walk down our own path, that's our failure to trust in the goodness of God. And think about that. That's the real temptation that Daniel also faced. In, in verse 3, as we keep on reading in, the, in this passage, we see that uh, not only were they in a difficult political situation, but that uh, Daniel got brought into um, an indoctrination program. And King Nebuchadnezzar had a strategy, and uh, we see that strategy laid out here. Not only did he need to defeat the nation militarily, he needed to defeat their culture. If, if these people of Judah were ever going to be valued citizens in their society, he had to indoctrinate them into the ways of Babylonian culture, religion, science. And, uh, and so what he did is uh, in verses 3 and 4, we see his strategy. Let's read it. Um, it says, there, Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, Youths without blemish and of good appearance, skillful in wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding, learning and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Verse 3 and 4, his strategy was clearly stated. And this is, this is part of it. If you want to write it down, I didn't have a note for you to take here, but this may help you understand it as you go back to it. First of all, he wanted to educate them in the ways of the Babylonian world. 
educate them in the ways of the Babylonian world. Essentially, what Nebuchadnezzar was doing was he was stripping them of their Jewish culture, their Jewish religion, and, um, and teaching them the culture and the religion and the history of the Babylonians. That's what he wanted to do. And who did he choose to do this with? Well, he chose the brightest. He chose the best. He chose the up-and-coming kids. He chose kids of the nobility. He chose, chose kids from wealthy families. He chose the next generation of leaders of Judah, kids that were going to be trusted, youth that, that were the brightest and smartest. That's who he chose. He even chose the best-looking, you'll see as well. And I, I will tell you, and, and I want to relate this to ourselves, is that today it is no different. If we consider Satan's strategy, um, what we need to understand in Satan's strategy is that his intent is to steal our children and to take you when you're young. When are you the most formational? When do you care the most about what people think of you? Think about that. Those of you that are older, you're like, I could care less. People could say what they want about me. I don't care. But man, when you're a kid, when you're in junior high, when you're in high school, man, isn't, isn't there a lot of social pressure? When you're in college, don't you feel this pressure to, to just fit in, to go along with people? And that's part of Satan's strategy. I will tell you and what he is doing in our world. Satan's strategy is to steal our children. Just to get practical, I want to just, just bring you up to speed on what's going on in our world today with some recent examples, okay? And this doesn't communicate everything, but it just I want to alert you as, as your pastor to these things. Because it was on June 24th, over New York City's Pride festivities, that videos, you probably saw them on social media, they were circulated, of this drag march where they were chanting, we are here, we are queer, we are coming for your children. We are here, we are queer, we are coming for your children. I don't say this to scare you. I say this to educate you as parents. Um, it was the year before um, that a report, uh, and I can, I can give you the links for this, this is from the New York Post, that they reported that um, they also chanted last year, 10% is not enough. Groom, groom, groom. That is what they want to do to our children. And I, I know that this does not represent all of the LGBTQ community, and they're not the only ones that are after our children, but I say this to warn you because this is a trend that is stealing our, our children's hearts and our children's minds, indoctrinating them in the ways of the world. Right now, today, 21% of Gen Z identify as LGBTQ. And we wonder why. I'll tell you why. Actually, um, just recently, there was an article posted in the, in the Washington Times under the, um, under the title. is actually an opinion article um, that was titled, The Biggest Threat to Christianity Isn't What You Think. And in it, a man named Billy Hallowell said, Christianity is actually under attack from within. In it, author um, Billy Hallowell said, um, quoted the research um, from, Bar uh, from a recent Barna study that found that only 4% of Americans have a biblical worldview, meaning virtually no Americans understand the teachings of Scripture. Hallowell went on to say that the biggest threat to Christianity 
right now is illiteracy, apathy, and disregard for the basic facets of devotion to which faith calls us. And he said in closing, for the Christian scripture and God's word should be the guiding light. Yet few people within the church seem to fully grasp that reality. And so I just want to alert you to these things. Not only are our children and ourselves under attack from outside forces, but we actually are, are pretty apathetic ourselves. And we don't devote ourselves to the study of Scripture so that we can know the truth and defend the truth. And so my question is, if you are, you know, if, if you are questioning the goodness of God, parents, especially grandparents as well, if you believe in the goodness of God, how are you teaching your children the truth of Scripture? Are you teaching your children the truth of Scripture? Because, man, when, when this world comes at them, they will follow the trends of culture if they don't have a firm foundation to stand upon, if they don't know that there is a better way, that God designed a better way for marriage, for sexuality, for money, for, for anger, for, you know, all these things that, that the Scripture teaches, this is God's design, this is good. They'll go along with the culture if they don't have a firm foundation to stand on. One more example I want to give you, and I, I meant to tell this, tell this one to you earlier, but I just want to also warn you about Disney. Disney is a, is a channel that used to be known for family values and, you know, good, clean family entertainment. But today, I'll tell you, it has turned into a digital Babylon. And I can give you this link as well, but executive producer Latoya Raveno said that her team has implemented a not-so-secret gay agenda and is regularly adding queerness to children's programming. If you are not monitoring what your children are watching, I guarantee you they are being indoctrinated, just like Daniel was there in Babylon. And so be, be very mindful of what your children are watching. Some, something that they have today is that, you know, you give them a screen and you just let them go please don't do that anymore. You can't safely do that. You need to monitor what they watch. And there are good, good Christian sources, good, good Christian media that they can watch, but man, you can't just let them go free range as kids anymore unless you want them to, to be really screwed up and follow the way of the culture. All right? Nebuchadnezzar's intent strategy was to educate them in the ways of the world, and that is Satan's strategy today. He wants to steal. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy. He wants you to question God's good design, to strip you of biblical values. He wants to educate them in the ways of the world. That's, that's the first strategy. His second strategy was this. As we read on, he wanted to identify them with their gods. He didn't want them to identify with, with the true God. He wanted to identify them with the Babylonian gods. Read verse 5, 5 through 7. Keep on reading. It says, The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. And they were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. 
Now, right off, off the bat, we, we recognize that most of the time we use their Babylonian names when we refer to them, um, ex- all except for, for Daniel. Can I tell you, their names were significant. Their, their Jewish names were significant. And um, part of this brainwashing was, was educating them beyond just the culture and values and, and religion of the Babylonians. It was also to change their names so that they would forget who they were. Can I tell you about their names? Their Jewish names, number one, Daniel. Daniel's name, his Jewish name, meant God is my judge. They changed it to Belteshazzar, meaning Bel's prince is one of their gods. The name Hananiah, meaning beloved by the Lord, was changed to Shadrach, meaning illumined by the sun god. The name Mishael, meaning who is God, or sorry, who is as God, was changed to Meshach, which means who is like Shaq. Some believe it was a Babylonian goddess at that time, um, corresponding to Issachar or Venus. And then the last name, Azariah, meaning the Lord is my help, was changed to Abednego, meaning servant of Nego, one of their gods. And so obviously, they changed their names to represent their own gods. And I'll tell you, Satan uses a similar strategy in our world today, doesn't he? He wants us to, to identify us and name us in relation to the world. He doesn't want us to identify with our Savior. He wants us to identify with our shame. And I'll tell you, we all live with an underlying shame, don't we? No matter what, what, you know, how long you've lived, you probably realize this, but you're, you're a sinner and you failed God. You've wronged God. And Satan would like nothing more than to just keep you in that place of shame and, and hopelessness. And what the world does is that they'll name you in regards to, to your shame, right? And sometimes the church does this as well, and wrong, wrongly it does. But apart from Christ... Satan will call you and accuse you and say, you're an adulterer, you're an alcoholic, you're a drug addict, you're a homosexual, you are transgender. But I'll tell you, in Christ, what Scripture says is 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. I'll tell you this, in Christ, if you repent of your sin. If you say, I repent of alcoholism, you are no longer an alcoholic. That does not define who you are. It does not define your identity. If you repent of homosexuality, you are no longer a homosexual. If you repent of addiction, you are no longer an addict. If you repent of transgenderism, you are no longer transgender. That does not define who you are. Your identity is in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. You're not defined by your sin. You're defined by your Savior. You are not defined by your shame. You are defined by salvation in Jesus Christ. He is your hope. And his call is to leave your life of sin and to follow him. That's what repentance is. And if you repent, that is no longer your identity. Some may continue to try and define you by your shame. But you need to realize that that is not your name. That's your old identity. 
The old is gone. The new has come. That is who you are in Christ. Daniel and his friends, they were given new names. That did not change who they were, okay? And so, as we, as we consider this, number one, dare to believe in the goodness of God, like Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, God gave them confidence to stand in their bowed-down world because they believed that God is good, okay? Number two, here's, here's how they also dared to believe. Number two, as we work, look, look uh, through verse eight, the beginning of verse eight, not only did they dare to believe in the goodness of God, but second, they dared to make a predecision to obey God. They dared to make a predecision to obey God. That wording seems a little funny, but um, it's, it's there on purpose. A predecision. Read verse 8 with me. It says, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Let's stop there. So, question is, what does the word resolve mean? It means to make a predecision about how you're going to respond when put in a specific circumstance. Other translations, you may have this say that Daniel purposed in his heart. That's what Daniel did. He made a decision about how he was going to respond when he was put in a circumstance, that he was going to respond into in, in obedience to God, no matter what the consequences. And we might ask, well, Daniel, why did you make such a big deal about food? Wasn't it, wasn't it like a special honor to eat the king's food, the best food in all of Babylon? Probably kind of like Guatemala, there's people that had nothing, and then there's people that had everything. And they were, man, they were, they were in the nobility. They were, they were at the top of their game. They were the smartest, the brightest. You know, they had the biggest future ahead of them. And yet Daniel said, no, I'm not going to eat of this, this food that the king is offering to me. Daniel, why did you make such a big deal of a little thing? It's because Daniel knew that even the little things touch every area of his relationship with God. Daniel and his friends actually considered the king's food defiled probably for three reasons. Number one, it was undoubtedly not kosher, and for a Jew to eat food that was not kosher was against the law that God had given them. Second, it was probably sacrificed to idols. And third, eating of the king's food implied a fellowship, a cordial relationship with the Babylonians and the system. And so Daniel said no. Now, you may be like, well, Daniel, why, why didn't you object to your Babylonian name? Daniel didn't object to the Babylonian name because he knew who he was. He was like, you can call me whatever I want, okay? Um, Daniel didn't object to his Babylonian education because he knew what he believed. But he did object to the Babylonian food because he knew eating of it was in direct disobedience to God's word. And so what Daniel did is he had made a predecision to obey God. And I, I believe that this also is a, an example for us to follow here today as we walk throughout world and the world and our, 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 our culture. God's Word gives us guidance, and if we believe that He is good and His way is best, then we can also make predecisions as well in how we'll respond in circumstances. Um, so I want to just give you a few scriptures as an example. I want to relate them to life 
as well, okay? And so, so track with me on this. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 talks about marriage and says, let, the marriage, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. What's God's good design and He wants the best for you, if you believe that God is good and I believe that He is good, then what He says about marriage and sex is that this is something that's to be kept within the bounds of a marriage, a committed marriage relationship. One man, one woman for life. What God has joined together, let no man separate. That's where God designed it to happen. And yet what we see in our culture today, and, and you know, I, I saw this, and th this started for me when, when I was, you know, a teenager, is my friends started sleeping around, having boyfriends and girlfriends, and, you know, just getting in touch with that side of themselves. And I had a decision to make. I had a decision, will I follow God's way and choose His best, or will I just go along with the way that everyone else is doing it? And... Um, I'm not trying to give myself too much credit, just so you know, because you know that, that I, I fail sexually in many ways, but this is one decision that I made, that I'm not going to give myself away to someone that is not my wife. And that is, praise God, something that I was able to give to Precious on our wedding night. That's something that we've remained faithful to each other in, and it was a beautiful thing, a beautiful union that happened. What Scripture teaches is that when, when you are one with someone sexually, um, there, there's this bonding that happens. You become one. And so when, when, when you split apart, obviously there is pain. It's God's design. God wants to give you His best. Maybe, maybe some of you, um, that's not the circumstances that you've had in life. That's probably not most of us. But praise God, there is forgiveness and there is grace and there's healing that He can offer you in Christ. If that's you right now, commit yourself faithfully to your spouse or faithfully to the one that, that you will someday marry. And don't just, don't just uh, you know, go the world's way and start living together before you're married. Don't, don't just shack up and start, start doing that. Don't, don't just sleep around to find someone who might be the best. That's not God's design. No, save sex for marriage. Secondly, um, what Scripture teaches is that um, uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, this is another predecision you can make, is that it says there, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Maybe you'd be like, you're going too far into my business, okay? But I just want to tell you, this is a predecision that, that I had to make um, even when, when I was a youth. How many of you got caught with alcohol when you were underage? Okay, yeah, a few of you, yeah, okay. I'm in that club as well, okay? Um, but man, I had a decision to make. Uh, my mom caught us with, with our friends with some alcohol, and we weren't drunk or anything, but, but uh, we, were, we found that a friend had alcohol, and we got in trouble, okay? And you've probably been there before, but um, man, I had, a, I had a decision to make when I was young, and I still make it today, that, um, that alcohol is something that God's Word warns against. And that he says that when you use alcohol um, to become drunk, uh, that it leads to debauchery. You become stupid. You get stupid. You do stupid things. And God's best way, His good, is that not that you completely abstain from alcohol. That's not the teaching of Scripture. But that you, if you buy a 12-pack, you only drink two. Okay? You only drink one. Whatever it is. But don't get yourself to that stupid place. 
Now, some of you, I will say, you have families where alcohol has been abused, and so you just completely abstain. And that, that's where I am close to as well right now, where, you know, I don't think that it's wrong if you drink. But man, if you are drinking alcohol and getting drunk, um, this is something that God's Word warns you against and says, man, there's going to be problems in life if you drink that much. And so um, as a warning to you and as an encouragement to follow God's best, make a predecision. Don't get drunk. Don't get drunk on wine. Don't get drunk on alcohol. Also, I would relate that to drugs. Don't dabble in drugs. This is something that has plagued our valley. And uh, man, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a slow process. You don't just wake up one morning and say, I want to be addicted to meth. Um, you, you go the slow process, okay? And so if you're dabbling in drugs, that is, again, like alcohol. Make a predecision and say, no, I'm not going to do that anymore, Okay? Um, that's God's word for us. Here's, here's another one. This may relate to you. Um, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Predecision that I've made is that I'm going to seek reconciliation with people when I know that there's a problem. And I'm not going to let the sun go down. I'm not going to just let the day go by without trying to address it with them. I'm not going to go sleep on the couch, okay? I'm not going to just let, you know, relationships, you know, go apart without, if I know about it, trying to address conflict in them. Romans 12 verse 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all. Doesn't matter if they are 99% wrong and, and you might be the 1%. If you're the 1%, go apologize for your 1%. If you think that there's something that you could have done, Go and seek reconciliation. Time doesn't heal. It just buries and band-aids pain, and it makes it worse. It causes it to, to grow into an infection and infection spread. So don't let conflict rule your relationships. Be like Christ. He addressed the conflict, didn't he? He went to us while we were sinners. Here, here's a third one, and then, then we'll move on. But uh, Proverbs 6, verse 9 Sorry, Proverbs 3 verse 9 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Scripture has more to say about money than it does any other subject. And can I tell you, a predecision that we have made, and I'll even be honest, I didn't make this decision before I got married to do this, but when we got married, this is a decision we made. We said, we are going to give the first fruits of what we make back to the Lord. Before we spend it and before we pay the bills, we are going to give it back to the Lord first. We're going to honor the Lord with our wealth. And uh, I don't know if you can tell, but God blesses those who honor Him first. And there's, there's this way that He just aligns your priorities and your finances in a way that even though, even though you're only working with 90%, God can work, work more with 90% than He can he can with your 100%. And so honor the Lord in that. Make a predecision to give the first portion back to Him. What's our motivation? Jesus Christ. He said, follow me. Follow me. And let me ask you, is He your Lord when it comes to all these areas that we talked about and even more when it comes to sex, sexuality, marriage, alcohol, drugs, anger, conflict, money, anything else? Do you believe God's way is best? Daniel made a predecision. 
Do you believe God? Will you make a predecision to obey Him? Okay, so number one, believe in the goodness of God. Number two, make a predecision to, um, predecision to obey God. Number three, and we're going to move on in the second part of verse eight, is that they dared to stand with wise conviction. They dared to stand with wise conviction. Read verses eight, um, verse eight, and then we'll, we'll keep on moving. It says, therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs, to allow him not to defile himself. Notice, Daniel requested to be excused from the king's table. He made a polite request showing discretion. He didn't start a protest. He didn't call for a boycott. He spoke politely and respectfully. Making a stand for Jesus does not mean that you have to do it obnoxiously. There are some Christians that, that do this, and they, I think they invite the scorn of the world upon them. They invite um, public shame upon them because they're obnoxious and they're arrogant in the way that they do it. Daniel did not do it that way. He was polite. He was respectful. Um, really, he modeled for us what's taught in Scripture in 1 Peter, and I'll have it, have it on the screen, 1 Peter chapter 3, and it's actually part of our reading this week. It says there, but in your hearts honor Christ as Lord. Honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, obviously it's going to happen, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Two words, put them into practice. The words gentleness and respect from verse 15. What was, what was the result? Verse 9, it says there in Scripture that God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I, I fear the Lord, the king, who has signed your food and your drink, for why should he see that you're in worse condition than the youths than who are of your own age? Than the youths who are of your own age. So you would endanger my head with the king. Okay, so basically, this chief of the eunuchs who's been put in charge of Daniel and over, over their whole diet and everything, he's saying, man, um, I, I want to make this work. I, I see your point, um, but I fear the king is going to be upset. And if you are not as healthy as all the other youth, he's going to have my head because I let this happen. Can I tell you, some people are just as scared as you are to go against the cultural system because they've maybe never seen good, solid evidence that God's way is better than the world's way. And so, my last point is this, and, and I believe it's important for us to understand this. That's why I believe it's important for us to, number four, dare to influence people for God's kingdom. Dare, don't be ashamed that God, God's way is good, that, that the way that He designed it is better than, than the constantly changing ways of this world. God's ways never change, and uh, His truth stands, okay? And so here's what Daniel did in verse 11. Here's what he said. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he said, test your servants for 10 days. 
let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. And so he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all of the youths who ate the king's food. And so the stewards took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Daniel said, put us to the test and you be the judge. Okay, side note here, who's ever had the, tried the Daniel diet before? Okay, yes. Okay, anybody else? All right, did you ever notice if you took the Daniel diet that you were fatter in flesh after taking it than you were before you started? Did it work for you? <laughs> Look at scripture here. If you see, their diet caused them to be fatter than skinnier, okay? And so if you're trying the Daniel diet out, only do it if you're trying to gain weight, okay? But here's the deal. That was, that was something that was a positive thing that, that worked out for them. Daniel said, put us to the test. You be the judge. And man, God came through for Daniel. That's what God did. Verse 17, we'll keep on reading to the end of the chapter. It says, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. A couple of phrases to note. None was found like them. Ten times better. Daniel and his friends, they were not lazy they weren't arrogant. They weren't irresponsible. They applied themselves to their studies. They worked hard. They were responsible. They took ownership of their health, over their education, over their growth. And because of that, they excelled. Okay, Christians, followers of Jesus, I believe that in our culture today, we should have that same reputation as well. Um, work is not part of the fall. just want you to understand that. Work is part of the purpose that God put us here on earth for. You'll notice that work for Adam came before the curse, right? He put Adam on the earth to work it and to tend the garden and to keep it, to, to subdue the earth, okay? And that, that's, that's part of our work today. Work is purposeful. And so it's honoring to God to work hard, to build great businesses, to create jobs, and to solve hard problems and meaningful problems. But when the king examined Daniel and his friends, what he did is he put them at the top of the class. And so my question for us is this, as we're following the example, example of Daniel, is how are you stewarding the influence that God has given you around people? I tell you, everyone has influence. You all have influence wherever God has placed you, whether it be in your home, your schools, your workplace. Man, um, this, whatever situations that God has you in, you have influence. doesn't matter what title you have. doesn't matter what position you hold. 
You have influence. And like Daniel, will you be responsible to learn and to work hard and to show up and to solve hard problems and to give yourselves wholly to the work that, that you've been called to do? Because I, I, I believe this, when people see followers of Jesus doing that, it will cause them to ask the question, man, what's different about you? You seem like you do your work with purpose, and I hate my job. See, like Daniel, you can, you can show others and influence people for God's kingdom by working hard and applying yourself and being, being different than all, your, all the other employees around you. Daniel and his friends use their influence to show people who God is. They dared to believe in the goodness of God. They dared to make a predecision to obey God. They dared to stand with wise conviction, and they dared to influence people for God's kingdom. Will you dare to do the same? Will you dare to do the same? It begins, and I'll tell you as we close, begins by submitting yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The key verse in all of the book of Daniel is that God reigns in the kingdom of men. Do you believe that? Do you believe that He is Lord? Have you made Him Lord of your life? Are you following Jesus and are you committing your life to His kingdom? And then second, are you devoting yourself to seeing others follow Jesus along with you because He's the hope of the world? Let's pray and let's ask God to help us be like Daniel in our culture today. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank you, man, for, for all that we have gained through this first chapter of the book of Daniel. And Lord, as, as we, um, we start this new week, we know that um, many of our teachers are going to be going back to school. Um, many of the students are going to be, be starting back into, into a regular, um, regular system. Our college students are going to be, be going back to classes. Life is going to be kind of getting, getting back to normal. And um, so, God, I, I want to just pray for each one of us as we, um, we go into our valley this week, that, Lord, we would be found as your followers, that we would place you as Lord of our lives. And in those areas where our culture is telling us that God's way is not best, Lord, we would dare to believe. We'd believe that you are good. We'd make predecisions to obey you. We'd stand with conviction. And Lord, with joy, we'd say, I want people to come into your kingdom. Father, I pray for those that, that are also here right now that may not know you and may feel ashamed, may feel um, far away from you right now. God, I pray that as they call upon your name, Lord, they repent of their sins. And God, as, um, as, as you say in your scripture, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. May they call upon you and may they find salvation in you, Jesus Christ. May their sins be washed away in your, in your blood. Thank you for your cross. Thank you, God, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We love you, Lord. And we pray that you bless us as we leave from this place. Lord, you are our foundation and our hope. And pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you are impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, 
visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.